0: You're listening to Vernacular Podcast.
1: All right, this is Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach.
0: And I'm Sally. And this
1: is season six, episode six. We're going to get to our guest, Elena, very shortly. We're going to talk about
0: food and finances.
1: Pretty good stuff. But before we do that, we're going to bring back our tip of the week. It's been several weeks since we did a tip of the week.
0: Yeah, I don't even think we've done a tip of the week this,
1: this season. season. No, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah. So we
0: know you've all missed the hashtag tip of the week. And if you've heard prior seasons of Vernacular Podcast, then you are well familiar with it. But we have one for you this week. Our hashtag tip of the week is to stop using every other podcast app that you might have and start using Pocket Casts.
1: Our experience specifically has been in the last week we transitioned from the Apple Podcasts app, so the standard podcast app that comes on your iPhone if you have an iPhone and we've instead switched to Pocket Cast. like Sally mentioned. It costs $3 or two ninety nine to be precise, but it's been worth every cent of that.
0: Yeah, and because we both have iPhones, we can do this like family sharing thing. So I didn't have to buy the app as well. Right. One of us just bought You're it. You're just a free rider share off it. of
1: my generosity. Of course, always. <laughs> So, but yeah, two ninety nine. I mean, really, we're talking $2.99. This is not like a huge expense. And it's anyway, worth it. But it's worth it. Yeah. To me,
0: that sounds like an expensive app because normally I only use free apps or if they're maybe not, maybe $0.99, cents, maybe.
1: But I guess I just think compared to relative to the amount of time you use that. Like right. You are someone who listens to probably an hour and a half of podcasts a day.
0: Yeah, just so, throughout the day or at the gym. Right. Yeah, definitely. So two ninety
1: nine in that context is a pretty small price to pay. Right,
0: right. So what do we like about it? I like that you can kind of customize your experience of the podcast.
1: Right. So you can set not just how they download, when they download, but also at what point in the podcast they start. So if you listen to one that has like 45 seconds of lead music, maybe you just want to skip all the vernacular intro music every time, you can set it to start at 45 seconds in.
0: And you can do that for each individual podcast or you can do that across the board for every podcast you listen to. You can also trim the silences.
1: That's kind of nice, yeah. You can
0: boost the volume.
1: Yeah, in case you're listening to a podcast where the podcaster is maybe not using the best equipment or just there's a lot of ambient noise or something, you can boost the voice volume.
0: And you can speed it up or slow it down. So... And even
1: like very to to a very granular degree, so one point one times speed.
0: Yeah, right now I'm at one point two across the board for all podcasts, and that seems to be kind of like a sweet spot. It's pretty good so far. I'm still at one point zero. I'm just
1: I'm I'm a purist. I think.
0: I mean, sometimes I think, wow, they're talking really quickly, and then I remember that I have it at one point two, but it hasn't been so fast that I have missed what they've.
1: Right. What they're talking about. Everyone just sounds slightly neurotic or
0: something. <laughs> Everyone sounds a little amped up. Yeah. Maybe they're a little bit little like caffeinated. too much Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, I think just the user interface is really smooth as well. I always found the, pod, the standard podcast app on the iPhone to be a little bit buggy. Kind of freezes up on me here and then. The search function sometimes just gives me errors and doesn't find stuff.
0: Yeah, you can search. It has a very easy to find search bar. Yeah, if you're great looking directory for new of podcasts. podcasts. I yeah. mean,
1: anything you can find through the iTunes Store, you can find through Pocket. And Cast. even the
0: display can be changed. There's like three or four different displays. Yeah. So and so, oh, I think even choosing your podcast artwork, you can customize that. Too. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, wow. I haven't. I mean, okay. I haven't. Fully That's explored the advanced it,
1: but... advanced configurations <laughs> tab. <laughs>
0: But anyways, if you love listening to podcasts, even if you just listen to us, you might want a better user experience for your podcast app. And that's why we recommend
1: Pocket Casts.
0: And they're not even sponsoring us.
1: Oh, and we've talked like this is an only iPhone thing. This is also on Android. Oh, so right. if you're yeah. an Android user, also check this out Pocket Casts. This is not an exclusive club. Right. iPhone and Android go on Pocket Casts. But still, head over in that iTunes app and rate us. We always appreciate that. <laughs> All right. That's your hashtag tip of the week. And we'll move on to the interview. Welcome back to Vernacular Podcast. We're joined now by one of our contributors, Elena Forsyth. Elena, welcome back to Vernacular.
2: Thank you. It's been a little while since I've been here, but it's good to be back with you guys.
1: It's been too long, but we're excited to have you back. So for those of you who don't know Elena... Elena's been on our podcast several times before. She's talked with us about, well, she's done roundtables with us. She was going to join us for our last one, but had to back out due to a scheduling conflict. And she has talked to us about music. And have we done movies discussions yet? We
2: with talked you? about, actually, we talked about vocation. We talked a little bit about Johnny, Johnny Katz, Cash. Actually. Okay, so. there we
1: go. Walk the line. Little, yeah. Um, okay, so today, though, we're going to talk about I'm going to tap into
0: another of Elena's hidden talents. That's
1: right. And this is her experience with finance. And she is a – well, Elena, how about I let (laughs) you talk about your qualifications to this? Sure.
2: Yeah, I'm a financial advisor. So um, I'm licensed to do retirement planning and investments and things like that. And I'm also – I've also been trained as a financial coach, which is a little bit different um, a little less formal. It's not like an official licensure or anything, but um that's helping people learn what it's like to live on a budget and how to make that work and how to get out of debt and um create a plan for your financial future.
1: Do you have a whistle for being a financial <laughs> coach?
0: A stopwatch.
1: I just picture you going to the store with people and standing <laughs> next to them at the cash register and whistling whenever they exceed their budget. No, amount.
0: no, no.
2: Do not put that in the cart. Do not put that in the cart. Step away from the whatever it is. There the are definitely eats. some people who could use that. I'm telling you. But no, they couldn't pay me enough to do that.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, we're going to tap into your financial advising and financial coaching expertise here to talk about avocado toast.
0: And millennials.
1: And millennials. So, yeah, there was this, I mean, I don't even know if you can call it a controversy, but avocado toast was trending on social media a couple months ago <laughs> because this millionaire from Australia, a guy named Tim Gurner, who's a real estate mogul, was criticizing millennials for not being able to afford their own houses because instead they're buying smashed avocado for $19 <laughs> and cups of coffee for $4 a pop. So, let me just start this off with a basic question. What do we all think of avocado toast?
2: I don't know if I've actually had an official avocado avocado toast at a restaurant. So,
0: I actually have. For the first time ever, I bought avocado toast, which I did feel a little silly about it when I did. But
1: Okay, two things, two questions. Yes. One, was it good?
0: It was delicious.
1: Okay, two, did you feel like you were sacrificing your real estate future? <laughs>
0: <laughs> At the time, no. <laughs> I just thought I was getting a great breakfast. But.
1: Okay, I lied. I have a third question. Was it $19?
0: It was not. <laughs>
1: okay. So we've poked the first hole in Tim Gurner's theory about that. That's what he
0: said, toast. that it was $19? He yeah, that's said.
1: Let me see if I can find the quote here. Um, I believe I he think said. He might have been
0: exaggerating.
1: I bet there's some. Oh no, you're right. When I was trying to buy my first
0: home, I wasn't buying smashed avocado for nineteen dollars and four coffees at four dollars each.
1: I mean to be fair, if you are buying like five cups of smashed avocado.
2: Five cups? Five plates. Eh.
1: Five plates. I mean, yeah, I guess that's kind of a strange measurement for. Like a gallon of smashed avocado. That's probably approaching $19. I'm sure there
2: are some places where avocado toast is $19, but let's agree that the majority of avocado toast is probably not $19.
0: Yeah, I think he was just kind of exaggerating for
2: effect. But coffee. Can be four or more dollars, definitely. A cup. So that Absolutely. one was pretty accurate.
1: I once saw this thing about the most expensive Starbucks drink that someone made and it was like a hundred twenty dollar drink because they had all these special Extra shots. Syrups
0: and, oh, that's that's funny. Well, Lena,
1: you've been a barista at Starbucks. I so. was <laughs>
0: another hidden talent. Right. So many hidden talents. Yeah. So you can
1: vouch for the four dollar plus coffee. I mean, I think Starbucks oh, yeah. was the originator of the four dollar coffee.
2: Yeah. And I mean, it's a treat for myself when I there's a bakery not far from my house that I go to. And I mean, a cup of coffee is two dollars and forty five cents, including tax. And um, I come in with my change because I (laughs) I feel better about myself if I'm not breaking a 20 to pay for it.
1: Yeah, no kidding.
2: And I think a cap, you know, an iced coffee is like three dollars and eleven cents. But so that's my little splurge. But still, yeah, Starbucks, you can pay. You know like 354 bucks if you get a big enough iced coffee it's pretty crazy
1: well uh, just to continue the fact check of this uh, Australian millionaire I did a little web search for avocado toast in New York and on the website wellandgood.com they give us a list of five must-have avocado toasts and let's look at the prices here so at uh, cafe gitane we have one for 725 at the butcher's daughter which is a trendy vegan cafe hipsters abound 12 dollars empire diner 9 dollars jack's wife frida 11 dollars navy 10 dollars so wow. he's exaggerating yeah. but, but not, not by, by, too by not much. Too by
2: not by too much yeah Okay, so we can agree avocado toast is expensive if you eat it every day, you're probably spending a lot of money. And that's not the only thing that millennials go for. I mean, juice cleanses, where you pay 50 bucks for juice that lasts you one day. Kombucha? Uh, I make my own. Okay. Well, Another
1: got, hidden if, talent.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we're wow. not as crunchy as you, then we might be buying it, and it is not
2: cheap. It isn't. So, let's so the reality is the cost of consumer goods these days And because our culture has gotten so good at marketing, I mean, for some, somehow they're convincing us to pay this kind of money. But the fact is, if you're buying it once every once in a while, you're probably not, you know, that's, that's not unjustified. In fact, as I, as I do financial coaching with people, um, especially people who are trying, who are dealing with extreme debt, and you're going to have a lot of millennials in that category because the average millennial who, or the average college student who graduates with debt has at least 30,000, um, I met someone just last week who has $70,000 worth of student debt. And so that's not uncommon. And when you're working with those kinds of people, as they're paying off debt, you know, you have to say, okay, every so often you've got to, you've got to, yourself a little something just to keep you going because it's hard work and exhausting like emotionally and it's stressful to pay off debt and to throw every single available dollar at paying off that debt. So I would say there's a place for avocado toast if you've got other things sorted out right.
1: That's valid. So avocado toast, not a bad thing in and of itself. Throw it
2: out <laughs> we don't have to throw it out all We good. don't
1: have to forego avocado toast. You just maybe, can't maybe
2: buy it every week.
1: Or every day. day.
2: <laughs> Certainly not every day. I mean, if that's your one treat per week, I would not condemn that. It's healthy, probably like seven bucks if you get it a reasonable place. Hey, learn how to make it yourself. Not so bad, huh? Good point, good point. What
1: you mean like, smashing the avocado yourself with a fork <laughs>
2: hey it's not as bad as it's handling so a kombucha scoby but that's another conversation ah, for the scoby time. the
1: synthetic culture of bacteria and yeast i, I, think I know
2: own podcast all about scobies
1: that's yeah let's oh, not well. open that can of yeast
0: or you could also start making your coffee at home as we learned last week with carly hubbard
1: right yeah, so lots of ideas to save money.
0: Okay, so if he's exaggerating about the avocado <laughs> toast and millennials can still eat it, then what is he right about? Do millennials have too high of expectations for what lifestyle they can afford um, or or are millennials fine?
2: I actually – well, I wouldn't say they're fine. Everybody's got some work to do and millennials have their fair share. But I wouldn't necessarily – I think that as far as their expectation of life, they're choosing um, – They're choosing certain things over others. I mean, it is, it's a tough market to, um, to buy a house in right now. So, the fact that, and uh, not just how, not just uh, buying a house, but rent is ridiculous. I mean, in so many places all over the country, in the Chicago area where I'm at, um, it it can be <laughs> it can be pretty rough. So you know, staying at home with mom and dad for a couple years uh, to save up money for a down payment, or um, you know, or for the deposit for your apartment, that's not a bad thing. Um, in fact, it can teach you other good things like you know, learning how to live with people and how to adjust your expectations in that way. Or if um, millennials are willing to buy a beater and pay it off with cash, that's great. I think that millennials are are more more credit card averse, but that's because a lot of them come out, like I said, with student loans. So they already have enough debt. And so it's, it's pretty overwhelming as it is. But one way that I would say millennials are definitely behind um, are in their their ideas about investing. So I think most millennials probably assume, and and I honestly, I had someone at my own work who, so uh, he's not in the financial world, but um, he's in his fifties or so. And he said, when I told him that I was investing for my retirement, he said, what, you can do that later. Like, no, 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 no. This is the prime time to do it because if you know anything about compound interest, and that can be another conversation, although if you want, we could talk about it. But um, basically, the idea is your money is growing the more time you have to to leave it in the stock market or in a mutual fund. So if you can put in ten or fifteen grand in in your twenties, where you're putting in a couple thousand dollars every year when you're in your twenties, and then you stop saving for retirement and then just let it sit. You could conceivably have, um, you know, one to two million dollars by the time you're ready to um, to retire, and that's with fifteen thousand dollars invested, but you left it enough time to grow. So millennials who think, oh, I can do it later, or oh, I don't have enough time to do, it, or e- enough money to do it now, um, that's where they're that's where a lot of them are mistaken.
1: So let's crunch some numbers here. We're going to uh, jump off on that point that you mentioned about how your money builds over time when you have it invested. Let's do a practical example of the avocado toast. So I'm taking a price of $11 for avocado toast because that was kind of 10 or $11, I think was sort of the average of the prices I was reading off from those New York restaurants. We'll assume a $4 cup of coffee. And Sally said, I think, every week, right? So let's assume that you're putting aside that money every week Instead of buying avocado toast and coffee, so like one day every week, you don't buy your avocado toast and coffee. You put fifteen dollars, eleven plus four, into your investment anyway. So, let's say you start when you're eighteen. At what age? What at what age do you guys think you uh, would be putting a down payment on a house?
2: Ooh. Um, like, a down payment on a house,
1: thirty. Uh, I, I was going to say between thirty and thirty-five. Does that sound reasonable?
2: So wait, wait, what's what's the question that you're asking is how much would that be over the course of uh, 17 years? Uh,
1: I'm asking, so I have a calculator up here from bankrate.com and I'm asking what my year target should be. So if if we're going 30, that's 12 years from 18. If we're going 35, that's 17, obviously. So let's just go 12. Sally threw out 30. So you're shooting for down payment on a house at 30. That's probably early. Okay. Uh, But probably
0: if you're starting to save at 18, then you're kind of ahead of the game.
1: That's true. Yeah. Okay. So, fair enough. 18 is probably early. Yeah. I mean, because this you're, would also work for like a 22, 22 to 34-year-old. You graduate okay.
0: from college at 22, and you want to have a house when you're 25. Right. So,
1: 12 years to accumulate. Let's say you have an initial investment of 100 bucks. So, you throw 100 bucks into this to start it off. We're going to assume an annualized uh, or interest compounded annually of like 7%. So, that's your average rate of return, which is pretty standard market conditions. So after 12 years, with that $100 initial investment and a weekly contribution of $15, you're going to be looking at about $14,600 after 12 years. So a down payment maybe on a really small house, (laughs) um, but still significant, right? Yeah, and if
0: that's all you're saving, that's not, not an insignificant sum, yeah.
1: Could also certainly buy a car with that money. So yeah, I mean, $15 a week maybe it doesn't sound like much but of course when you extrapolate that out and $15 a week you know becomes $60 a month which then becomes uh what $720 or so a year it sounds like a little bit more
2: yeah so and then uh considering if you at age 18 um start investing that and you do 60 you know $65 a month for uh, from age 18 to age 65, you I mean, and actually, I would say that seven is a pretty conservative uh, estimate as far as growth. But I mean, you're looking at $840,000 conceivably at a 10% um, rate of return, which is um, probably that's probably pretty close to uh, what it is over that that expanse of time. So that's 564 months from age Eighteen to age sixty five, six sixty five dollars a month could be more than three quarters of a million dollars. Wow!
1: But if you're not buying your first house when you're sixty five,
2: <laughs> if you're buying,
1: <laughs> so <laughs> well, let's pause. We pause for I'm, just a second. Home ownership sure,
0: sure. is that even a goal that millennials should be striving for? Is that is that actually should that be one of their financial goals? I know it was for our parents' generation but is that something that's still prudent financially now?
2: I think it can be depending, but I think one of the reasons that millennials put it off is also because they're putting off other things like marriage and family. Um, So you're looking at uh, a higher and a higher age when your average um, male and female get married and a higher age when they start having kids. Um, So right now, um, you know you see a lot more who are they they're just kind of uh reluctant to settle down i suppose so buying a house doesn't feel like it's a applic- it, you know a lot of them feel like it's more of a commitment than they're ready for i suppose so the age of of buying your first home is uh is a little bit is older than it has been in past generations but that's not necessarily a bad thing but i i do think that it it can be um wise or prudent for uh for people to invest in a house because there's just a certain sense of stability in that um and um and, and hopefully it's an asset that will increase in value as time goes on but um yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't make a blanket statement that that is the right thing for everybody or that it's the right thing at a particular age for everybody so um I don't think that that's something that we need to um that we need to worry about with millennials because they're not putting off home buying because oh they just rather live rent free at mom and dad's house yeah they're putting they're most of them a good majority are probably not able to think about buying a home or saving for a down payment because of things like student loan debt um, so because that's
0: the real it, culprit then not that maybe the avocado toast but the student loan debt
2: yeah but it, it can be the avocado toast I mean if you're if you're paying a ridiculous amount you know uh, and if you're if you're paying the minimum on your student loan, like three hundred dollars a month, or you know maybe even more, um, but if you're paying only paying the minimum so that you can have your avocado toast, then you're missing something because if you've got student loan debt, the rates are not low. You know you're looking at sometimes six to eight percent interest on these loans, and um and those they they survive you beyond your own death. If you die with student loans, then your parents or someone else might have to pick that up. Wow. So it- it's really crazy. Yeah, I would say the student loan debt is pro- is the bigger burden than anything else and probably the bigger reason why, um, why millennials are putting off what are considered kind of milestones of adulthood, uh, like buying a house.
1: Well, I want to put a little bit of data, add a little bit of hard data to this conversation because I think these investing trends from millennials, our generation, are really interesting. So millennials, we're talking about the – People born generally between 1980 and 2000. There's a really good infographic uh, put out by Goldman Sachs on this that we'll include on a, as a link on our website. Um, for housing, our peak home buying years are 25 to 45 years old. But the average number of uh, people from our generation as a percentage uh, that's young and living at home, staying in the nest, is steadily increasing and has been since 2005. 2005, we were at less than 27%. Um, as of 2010, almost 30%. Uh, we are uh, getting married later. You already mentioned that, Elena. But in the 1970s, the median marriage age was 23 years old for that generation. Uh, in the 2010s, it's been 30. So that's a mm-hmm. really significant shift. That's seven seven years that are added before you're married. Uh, not just putting off marriage, but also putting off having kids. So there's a clear demographic shift from the 19 19- 90s onward, where um, couples are having kids, uh, there's a clear peak um, of child childbearing uh, at age 30, as opposed to age 25, where it was in the 70s and the 80s. Also, we're renting a lot more. Uh, and Sally and I are renting now, we have not purchased a home. Uh, 52% of people in 2005 were renting 60% in 2013. So over this, that eight years, there's an 8% increase, which is uh, pretty significant, I think. We also uh, are thinking it's less important to own a house. So 40% of uh, people in our generation thinks think it is extremely important to own a house. 30% say it's important but not a big priority. Um, 7% say they might purchase one if they really need it, but they're kind of indifferent. 8% don't feel strongly uh, either way. 15%, 15% don't intend to purchase, purchase a house in the near future. So, clear changes in the way we're thinking about how we spend our money. Kind of interesting.
2: But I would I would interject and say that a lot of those things, you know, getting married, whether or not you get married, buying a house when or whether or not you buy a house, that is those are, you know, those are flexible, but the fact is there will come a day, whether you like it or not, when you are unable to work anymore and you will have to live off of something. So, retirement is non-negotiable. You can't, there's it's not a matter of opinion, the day will come. So, investing for retirement and as people are living older and older, um, and the cost of health care is going up. Health care is one of the high, is probably the highest expense that most people will experience when they're in retirement. That, I mean, your average uh retirement or uh, health care costs over the course of uh, like a 20 year retirement is you know, that can be 250 to 300 thousand dollars. So, um, um, and that's in addition to your to your cost of living and whatever it else is it is you want to do in retirement. So that stuff is going to happen, whether or not you buy a house. That's up to you. your t- your retirement is coming. So and it, you might not think it's coming soon, but it's coming sooner than you think. It really is a, a priority that millennials. You, you don't. I, I read that thirty eight percent of millennials think you need at least a thousand dollars to start investing. Um, That can – if you're just doing a a single minimum investment, then that's sometimes the case. But you can also – if you set up a repeating, like a monthly scheduled um, investment, you can start with as little as $50 a month. So um, it's not out of people's reach, and it is absolutely coming. So it should be far higher on the priority list after after loans are paid (sighs) off. So what are some things that millennials can do then to to aim
0: for retirement? I mean, if I'm listening to this and I'm a millennial and I have student loans, then I might start to feel a little discouraged. (laughs) What do I do to prepare for retirement? And how do I start, how do I start, how do I start investing?
2: Well, I would say your student, paying off your student loan should be a priority because six to 8% interest on that. I mean, it really, that will pretty much uh, negate the rate of return that you might get in investing. So you really need to pay that off. Um, So do whatever it takes, you know, pick up extra. That's one of the reasons why I worked at Starbucks, because I had a little bit of a student loan to pay off. Um, Don't don't waste time on that. Pick up extra hours. There's no shame in it. Um, It's uh, it's definitely important to to get out of debt. But after that, once you've um, once you've paid off your student loans, it is important to start investing immediately. And you you might not. Um, it, it, I would highly recommend meeting with a financial advisor because your situation is always going to be unique. I mean, that's a disclaimer that I would give to anyone um, that I'm that I'm talking to about advising is that you've got a unique situation with your income, your objectives, um, your risk tolerance. So it could be really valuable to meet within with um, a financial advisor to get a little bit of insight into, uh, into specifically what your priorities might be. But, um, when you're as young as in your twenties, it's absolutely worth it to just, just start, uh, 50 bucks a month, you know, and maybe you'll realize, Oh, I can do a hundred, I can do 150. Um, or maybe you can max out a Roth IRA, which is a tool for, for investing that, um, that saves you from paying taxes on, on the money when you take it out, when you're older, it's a great option, especially for people who are young in a low tax bracket. But, um, you know, to max that out, it's $458 a month. Um, so if you can spare, $458 a month in your 20s, start now uh, because it'll definitely pay off in a few decades when you're ready to retire.
1: So those are some good strategies to invest now. Would you recommend any apps or any sort of technologies or um, other things that can help us Online resources. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like budgeting apps. We use YNAB a lot and we like it. I'm also thinking about things like Better Mint or Stash, which helps you save your loose change and turn it into investment money? Anything like that?
2: Yeah, I think all of those things can be um, really valuable. YNAB, uh, Mint, um, things that help you track your finances. But it's important not just to track, but um, like you said, Zach, with YNAB, um, it is you need a budget because a budget is not just looking at where it went, uh, but actually deciding what you're going to do with it. Um I highly recommend Dave Ramsey's resources because, um, as Ramsey would say, being good with money is 80% about behavior, and um, they've just got a lot of great articles that talk about some practical issues um, that you're dealing with when you're budgeting. And I would always encourage people, no matter where you're at with your finances um, or, you know, you might be knee deep or neck deep in debt. But I would challenge I always challenge people to consider how they can give because it helps you to remember that your money is a tool. Um, ultimately that it is not, it does not, your worth is not tied up in it. Your, the amount of student debt that you have is, uh, that is not your identity. And if you're able to give, um, to, um, to charities that are doing good and to be able to, um, to focus on the fact that your money is far more about you, I think you're far more likely to be successful in achieving your financial
1: goals. Sounds great. Well, thanks for those tips. And thanks for talking to us about avocado toast and investing and millennial spending habits and all that. It's been a good conversation for those of you who want to know more about this. Check out this episode description on our website. We'll have some links to these resources there. You can also follow Elena and her work at renegade underscore financial on Instagram, or go to her website at renegadefinancialcoaching.com. Elena, thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me back, guys.
0: back to wrap things up with episode six, and before we do that, we wanted to remind you to check out our Patreon page. You've heard us mention that on the past couple episodes. If you haven't checked it out yet, it's kind of a cool way to support your favorite podcasts and artists, and it's similar to a Kickstarter.
1: Right, yeah. So Patreon is like a Kickstarter for podcasters, designers, artists, filmmakers, you name it. And the idea is that you can support their work by giving at different levels, recurring amounts, normally monthly, and then... At those different giving levels you'll receive something in return so uh, it could be like if, if you're supporting an author, you could be getting a, a signed, signed book copy. yeah yeah um, our website is patreon.com slash vernacular that's p a t r e o n dot com slash vernacular and on our site, for example, you can sign up to give us a dollar a month uh, and if you do that, we'll thank you by name in a written episode. Uh, description and give you a shout out on air in one of our podcasts. Uh, you can also do something like the uh, the monthly Frappuccino Club, which is a $5 a month commitment. And if you do that, then we'll send you a custom homemade batch of my patented chocolate chip cookies.
0: Yeah, if you've heard us talk about chocolate chip cookies, you know that Zach has created his own recipe, which is incredible. Who, who, anyone who's ever had them thinks they're amazing. They're basically like a bunch of chocolate chips melted within encased in a cookie crust
1: i don't want to get too bold in my assertions here but this would be one of the best things that ever happened to you if you ate one of these cookies
0: (laughs) and we would make you your (laughs) own plate of these cookies
1: yeah so and you'd also get a digital wallpaper from us and we'd give you a shout out on an episode and name you in a written episode description and all of that stuff yeah so for each
0: level of donation you get all the gifts from the levels below you right
1: correct yep yeah so each level includes all the previous levels rewards Yeah. But it's just kind of a fun way for us to stay engaged with our listeners and for you to let us know that you're appreciating what we're doing. And it funds our costs, just like website hosting and
0: new equipment, recording
1: equipment that we use and things like that. So we encourage you to do that if you like what we're doing. But you're also, of course, welcome, as always, to just sit back and listen and enjoy the podcast and stay in touch and let us know what you think. And you can do that through any of a number of ways. We've been really active on our Instagram lately. That's at VernacularPod. You can also find us on Twitter at the same handle, at VernacularPod. You can also check out our website
0: yes which is vernacularpodcast.com and you can email us at Zach and sally at vernacularpodcast.com
1: and we always love hearing from listeners I would think I was just telling Sally the other day that every time I hear from someone who's a listener whether it be through one of our social media accounts or just a review on iTunes or uh, something like that it's just I don't know it makes my day it just makes me realize that oh we're you know we're engaging with people and people like what we're doing so please keep the comments coming even if they're Constructive feedback, or not all positive, we welcome that as well. So,
0: and if you're enjoying what you're hearing, pass on our podcast to someone that you know who might enjoy it as well. Um, we mentioned at the beginning of the episode our hashtag tip of the week: use Pocket Casts. Right, there's a very easy way to just share a link to the podcast that you're listening to, whether the the individual episode or the podcast as a whole. And so that's something that you could just text to someone if you're listening to something and you think, oh, maybe yeah. they would like this episode on food and finances or this episode on coffee. So yeah, spread the word. We'd love more listeners.
1: And thanks so much, as always, for listening to another episode of Vernacular Podcast. I think that wraps it up for us. So I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. You know, like,
2: feeling better than I'm by your side Feeling better than ever When
1: you're with me tonight